0: This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets.
1: Oh, hey! Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say, lovely labs? I don't know, they're both good. I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Oh, oh cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graf, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically... I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up. You're about to receive the sex ed that you'd never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. (laughs) Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic. You're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull the couch. It's the Labial Lounge. Hello, my lovely labial ledge bags. I've got a really cool guest for you today. We're going to be talking about ejaculation. So welcome to Ejaculation Station, my loves. This one is going to be juicy. I've got Miroslav. Oh my God. I should have asked you before we actually press record. Is that how I pronounce your name, Miroslav?
0: Yes, that's perfect.
1: Okay, good. Whoo. Um, so I've got Miroslav on the call today and I'll just give you a bit of a rundown about this man. So Miroslav is a speaker and embodied speaking trainer. Over the last 10 years, he has been devoted to reconnecting people to their life force or Eros, and he's presented across Australia and internationally, appeared across mainstream media and delivered a TEDx talk on the importance of following the current of life. Fuck, what a flex, TEDx talk. I feel like that's really peak career stuff there. um. (laughs) his personal journey with sexuality began over 13 years ago with tantra and has since involved studying globally with the leading teachers of the tradition he's fascinated by how we can be more fully alive with everything we do with our sexuality and beyond and he believes that being in connection with our own personal presence is the most important dynamic relationship we have in life Totally. Welcome Miroslav. Get yourself mm-hmm. a clitoral cushion, make yourself comfy.
0: <laughs> Sounds beautiful. Thank you for having me, friend.
1: <laughs> Pleasure. So, I've gotten you into the lounge today to chat about ejaculation. So, to give some context, um, at least from where I'm kind of imagining that this is going to go and from where I'm coming from with my experience, and I'll give you an opportunity to chat into this as well. But I feel like there's a couple of pretty extreme ends of the spectrum out there when it comes to jizzing there's like firstly this prevailing belief or attitude towards ejaculation in the tantric teachings that frames it as kind of bad or undesirable like you shouldn't ejaculate because it's depleting you of your life force energy it's draining you and it isn't the highest experience of orgasm for a man because if you were a true sex god you could orgasm without ejaculation which is the thing, by the way, that is possible. Um, So there's that rigid kind of dogma on the tantric side of things and then there's the more mainstream, um, probably more commonly come across approach to ejaculation, which is equally if not more damaging in my opinion where dudes are just out there Mm. ejaculating themselves fucking sideways while masturbating to porn in every sexual encounter. It's basically seen as like the ultimate outcome of a successful sexual encounter and if the guy doesn't ejaculate then something's wrong and then of course if he does well then like sex is just over then isn't it you know so I feel like those are the kind of two ends of the spectrum and there's obviously other ways in which people see and use ejaculation but um you know that's generally the two approaches that I see and that we're going to be talking about how to unhook from and avoid today, because I feel like both of those extremes can be pretty unhelpful and even unhealthy. Um, and there's, mm. you know, that we're going to offer a different way to look at ejaculation and some ideas and some tools to approach it consciously in a way that is empowering and mindful. How does that sound to you?
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I think, I think you're, Um, synopsis of those two extremes is pretty spot on
1: (laughs) yeah thank you I've definitely been swimming in the sort of in the tantra circles and the sacred sexuality circles and also in the dating pool so I've come across the full spectrum um so firstly can you speak a bit about why you've used the term dogmatic when describing the traditional tantric attitude towards ejaculation
0: yeah, um, I think a part of me cringes in, even when we say traditional tantric attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, the traditional tantra teachers I have don't really go mm-hmm. into sexuality. It's like a tiny part of the transmission. Mm. And I think if we call that like sacred sexuality or neo-tantra, neo-tantra teachings, then I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm like, that That feels a lot more clear. Yeah, um, t- and I know Taoism does hold a lot of similar um, ideals as well like Mantak Chia being a very heavy um, proponent of some of these things that have become mainstream culture in, in the West um, yeah, when it comes really. to sexuality.
1: Yeah, thank you for that clarification. Um, Good
0: one. <laughs> my pleasure. Um, I can't remember the, the rest of your question, <laughs> <laughs>
1: um that's how we roll here it happens to me all the time so i I remember um the post that sort of um i think a friend tagged me in and then inspired me to get you on was around i think you even called it don't come at me with your dogma and come was spelt c-u-m and it was about ejaculation so i was just wondering yeah if you could give people a rundown on on Hmm. why it is pretty dogmatic
0: yeah, this is good. So early on when I when I got started, I was kind of introduced to like this is the way and you know, if you want to be a man and you want to be spiritual and you want to be sexual, like this is the way. You don't ejaculate. You just move the energy inside you and if you need to ejaculate, like you hold the fluids in and have like a non um non it's still ejac- it's ejaculation. Like you have a non forward facing orgasm. Um and there's there's different there's a lot of different uh Myriads and flavors of both ejaculation and orgasm, which I don't know if we want to go down that path at the moment. But yeah, that was kind of heralded as the way. And it's like, if you're not doing this, you're you're not doing it properly and you need to learn. And I spent a lot of time journeying that kind of stuff and being in that culture. Um, And I came to this point of realizing, like I had some beautiful experiences along the way. Um, and just for context as well, when I first started, like my foray into Tantra was because I had no control over my ejaculation and sometimes sex would last a couple of minutes and I was like, this isn't even worth it. Like it's not worth going to the hassle of taking my clothes off or something that's over this quickly. (laughs) So I'm like, I've, I've explored the whole, the whole kind of trajectory with, within my own body. Like I have a personal relationship to it. Um so naturally this was very appealing to me at first. I was like, oh okay, maybe I could actually uh have more enjoyment of my sexuality. And I didn't really kind of cotton onto it at the time, but what I came to know this is it, there was a lot of mental control and most of my time in sexuality was spent thinking about am I going to come and what do I need to do to not come? Like I still wasn't enjoying the experience. And over, like, years and years and years, I definitely feel those tools helped me manage my ejaculation. Mm. And, you know, maybe I was having sex for 20 or 30 minutes and it was, it was nicer. But, like, the key word there for me is still management. It's mm. like I, I don't really want to be managing when I'm having sex. And the, the key distinction for me came through, like, recognizing That sexual energy, when it has a clear channel, it moves through the body quite effortlessly. And with these tools and techniques, it was like taking a cognitive approach to try and move the energy. But there was a lot of emotion that was already stuck in my body. It's like having all these knots on the rope. And instead of undoing the knots, I'm trying to force something through them. Mm. And when I started kind of leaning into this and being like, oh, okay, what if I just meet the emotion? What if I meet the self-worth and the pain and all this stuff that's, that's sitting on top of my sexuality that isn't allowing the energy to move. Um, and what I discovered is like as as I kind of moved and processed some of that stuff, it's like my sex just had more space to exist inside my body. And I had to do less controlling over it. It's like, oh, there's just there's just more space here. Mm. Um, and for me, a, a, a part, part of that was self-reflection. And looking at what needs to move, and you know, lots of different practices on that. And the other part was actually recognizing that my sexuality wasn't moving because my desire was suppressed. Mm. It's like at some really young, early age, I internalized that uh, as a man, it's not okay for me to have my desire in the world. And the world is, the world and I are a safer place if I suppress this. And this is really unconscious. And then when I had like a very major pivotal moment in my life of choosing my desire over my safety and comfort and worldly things that I was told I should choose, it's like my sexuality opened up in a way that no technique or breath control or anything um, ever did for me. But it was like, it took this moment of maturing to be like, I don't know what's going to happen if I make this choice. And I know it's the one I have to make.
1: Mm, wow and
0: and just like to, to really reflect, that was the most drastical change I had in my relationship to my sexuality like it didn't come from an esoteric teaching, even though that, that helped a lot. It came from being like oh this this is the choice I have to make in my life
1: mm, yeah, so cool. I feel like um it's it's such a double whammy when you've kind of already got the like the shame and guilt around pleasure and ejaculation that might have come from like layers of trauma and conditioning and, you know, things in your childhood or when you're going through puberty. And then you go into the sort of, neo-tantra sexuality biz and get another layer of like shame and guilt around ejaculating, um, which just, yeah, it feels so, it feels harsh, it feels cruel, it feels very um, unnatural to be mm-hmm. like continuing to just layer up the kind of like shouldn'ts and the don'ts and the, you know. Um, and I actually did a, a, I recorded an episode yesterday it'll probably come out just before this one with Mangala Holland around, um, it's like a similar thing with clitoral orgasms that are sort of demonized as well in those circles and seen as like the inferior, you know, um, energetically draining explosive version of orgasm for female-bodied people. Mm. So it's so funny that, that we'd lined this one up as well and it's almost sort of like the the male-bodied equivalent of, of what Mangler and I were talking about. Um, so I'm yeah, here hearing- It's just really
0: important to add in there the, Like the innocence with which all of this is done Like for me this mm. isn't about demonizing Or saying what, what's come before us is wrong I feel like these were necessary parts And you know Like when I first started in Tantra It was hard to find a single Tantra teacher In all of Melbourne mm. um, And there's this sense of like the gratitude of What these people stood for And what they taught Because these were the steps forward To get to where we are now and I know sometimes we can get into polarization, like that's wrong and bad. And it's like, no, it was necessary at the time. It's the best we knew. And now, as we're learning more, we can bring you know more to the table as well.
1: Yeah, totally. I think it's just important that we're able to adapt and and be flexible with our beliefs, and not just hang on to the you know this is the only way because that is where it gets so dogmatic. And um, and I yeah, what I'm hearing from mm. you and what I was sort of saying to Mangala in that episode as well is like. It served a really, a really valuable purpose, like on your journey in the beginning, it did for me as well, like with kind of laying the foundation for a more mindful, conscious way of approaching sexuality. Um, it really helped me in a lot of ways, um, get get more into my body and embrace my sexual expression and, and release shame and things like that. So Um, and, and I was kind of hearing from you, like that was the circuit breaker for the quick ejaculation. It was the thing that kind of the catalyst that got you practicing and committed enough to kind of start exploring that. And now where you're at is like, okay, letting go some of, some of that, but also keeping some of the skills that you kind of took on board in that time of exploration and practice so like what's your kind of when you were doing the really hard out practicing retention and managing and controlling of ejaculation which was kind of like dominating your experiences because you're in your head trying not to come yeah like what what sort of um can you just talk a little bit more about your experience and why in the end you were kind of like ugh, this is not this doesn't feel natural either and like what parts of that you've managed to retain and what parts you just let go?
0: Mm. So I feel any kind of prescriptive technique, like this is how you need to move your energy and this is where it needs to go when you're having sex, that stuff didn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, There's a few levels there I think I'm going to speak to in regards to your question. Sure. Um, I found when I was like really gung-ho about non-ejaculation, it's like it would start showing up in my dreams and I'd feel the desire to ejaculate coming through my dreams and it's like I was still having to apply these techniques in my dreams to stop the ejaculation. Um, and that was pretty wild. For me, it was like, whoa, I never thought I would have this kind of control or self-awareness to even in my dreams be like, no, I'm not fucking ejaculating. Um, wow. So, yeah, that, that that was interesting times. And I feel that there is a massive value in non-ejaculation, just not when it becomes dogmatic. I feel, mm. for me, what I would probably invite people into is to into coming into a relationship with ejaculation. Mm. Um now, ejaculation or non-ejaculation is, like, the same thing. Like, with, with that experience in your body, that's what we need to be more intimate with, and that's really what I've taken from it. It's like there'll be a lot of times I'll have sex and I'll, I choose not to ejaculate because it just doesn't feel useful or productive or, like, my body needs that. Mm. Other times I'll be having sex and my body, like, really wants to ejaculate. And sometimes that desire comes from, like, an arousal want And sometimes it's actually not from an arousal wand. It's like a deep surrender. And it's like there's really deep pain underneath the surface. And the only way I'm going to reach that pain is if I ejaculate. Mm. Like the ejaculation is a tool to touch parts of myself that I can't touch with my cognitive mind. Mm.
1: So cool. Yeah, beautiful. And, like,
0: I feel like this conversation just hasn't had room to breathe because everyone's had, you know, so many ideas around it, which... Mm which for me it's like, yeah, these are all valid things and and both coming and not coming is useful, um, as one of my teachers say, based on context, for whom and when.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And there's just like no one path for everyone. I think that's where it just gets so tricky when it's really dogmatic and it's like prescribed, this is the way everyone has to follow this. It's like, oh, everyone has different levels of like health and vitality and energy. Then your age comes into it. Then, Mm. you know, I've no, and I've noticed like with past partners, some it's really depleted them and I, and it's been noticeable and they've even had a bit of a come down and a bit of like gloomy mood afterwards. And then others depending on their levels of health and their diet and their lifestyle habits and maybe even their human design you know whether they're an energy type or not not that I know shit about human design but you know then I really mm-hmm. noticed there's like some some partners I've had have felt at least doing it occasionally has been really really helpful for them and and um you know like yeah scientifically it's been Shown that you are like depleted from ejaculating, you lose like half your daily zinc requirements in like one hot load. And, you know, Dave Asprey, who's like a bit of a heavyweight in the biohacking industry, has dedicated a whole section of his book, Game Changes, to the benefits of ejaculating less and, you know, to improve health and increase testosterone and all of this. But I feel like, you know, there's just a more sustainable middle road that we could be treading here. Mm. like, I don't have a, a penis, I've never ejaculated, but, you know, I just feel like it surely treating it like a really useful tool and a a bit of a like sometimes food. Um, and learning to do it consciously from an empowered place where you've actually got the choice and you can be intentional about it and you can choose to embrace that or, you know, in the moment or you can choose not to like that feels like it would be so much more empowering than like, you know, just having no control over it or having to control it. So like constantly and relentlessly that you're not even in the moment anymore. You're just working against your body.
0: Yeah, completely. Yeah. And I, I think like what opens up in this conversation is when we stop ejaculating for a man, we go from attributing the pleasure in sex to ejaculation to opening up into the vastness of possibility. Like what else, where else can I, uh, God, the wording here is strange, You're not looking for Mm -hmm. pleasure. Pleasure starts showing up in so many more ways when you're not looking together from an orgasm anymore. And Mm -hmm. like when people say to me, um, when they talk about like non-ejaculatory orgasms, I'm like, I I don't even need an orgasm. Like it's nice if it comes, but it's not Mm -hmm. like a goal or a desire or um, a direction I'm seeking. Like the sex itself is fulfilling.
1: Mm, Yeah, so, so important. I wish more people had that attitude because it just it is so goal oriented out there I think like the sex that we see in you know the porn or mainstream media and and just generally like most dudes that you come across and and a a lot of I mean it's not just gender um specific I I work with a lot of female-bodied clients and they also come out with all sorts of things where I'm like oh wow it's actually still very like commonly believed or accepted that like sex is about the ejaculation and that is the end goal that is what you're trying to get to it's not you know you haven't succeeded in pleasing the guy or the guy hasn't succeeded unless he's ejaculated and and you know people i think it's news to a lot of people that ejaculation and orgasm can happen separately um but yeah Mm. like you were saying it doesn't even even the orgasm shouldn't be put on this pedestal of like this is the outcome that needs to happen for it to have been worth it or something. Because it's like, I mean, us female-bodied people, we're fucking out here having sex for so many other reasons than just to get the orgasm. A lot of people don't have orgasms every time or even any of the time. But I still hear from so many women like, you know, I just really like the intimacy, the connection, the affection, the touch, the lead up, the journey, the foreplay. Like, It's not all about, they're like, I don't really mind if I have an orgasm or not. And then often it's like the male in that equation is like, oh, but I want to make you come. Like, you haven't had an orgasm yet. Like, let me just do this for you. And they're like, whoa, 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 I actually don't mind. Like, let's stop putting so much pressure on the orgasm, you know? Mm. So I think that's an important thing that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to shift that (laughs) in, in culture or in the mainstream, but I am starting to like hear more and more and come across more people that, yeah, aren't putting that as like this golden goose of sex anymore. It's like that's a bonus, that's really lovely, but also there's all of these other parts that, you know, of lovemaking, of intimacy, of touch that you can be enjoying and finding pleasure and, you know, sexual energy in. So thank you for mentioning Mm. that.
0: Yeah, completely. And I I just really want to anchor this, like for any of the listeners that this might be a new concept, like it's not even – Uh, And and this depends how we define orgasm. If we define orgasm, like I think what we're using here, like you and I, is some kind of peak
1: um, uh,
0: experience of sorts. Mm. And it's like that's one blip of pleasure on a myriad of other ways to have pleasure. And these other ways aren't less fulfilling or less intense. Like it might not be a peak. It might be a really, really, really deep drop. And it's just as pleasurable because you lose yourself in how deep you can drop. Mm. But this isn't even available to us when we've got a mental goal of what we're chasing. Mm.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. I Yeah, I like to kind of remind people and myself as well because, you know, I can fall back into like goal orientation, just remind them that, Yeah, there's there's also orgasmic states, orgasmic energy that can kind of ebb and flow. It doesn't have to be this big peak kind of top of the mountain experience that Mm. then kind of plummets down the other side. You know, it can be waves of pleasure and orgasmic energy and that is more, you know, you can sustain that for longer. You can have, you know, multi-orgasmic sessions and experiences. And I think like, yeah, it is. it's so cool now that more and more men are realizing like they can like all male body people, they can be multi-orgasmic too. And, um, yeah, it's maybe just slightly, slightly takes a little bit more practice and sort of undoing certain conditioning. Um, But yeah, it's, it's really cool that we're having these sorts of conversations. And I, I hope some male body people listen or, you know, because most of my most of my audience are female, but yeah, pass this on to a partner, you know, like it's it's cool to think about the possibilities. And if you take away this predetermined or prescribed vision of what you're aiming for, then holy shit, it just opens up a world of possibility and different experiences of and I mean you could you could talk into this from your personal experience I'd love to hear like the different orgasmic experiences or experiences with like sexual energy and surrender and intimacy that you have been Mm -hmm. enjoying since you kind of took that whole controlling um or coming too quickly off the table and just found a way to to really approach it in a way that feels natural and good for you
0: yeah, it's it's a nice question. I'd probably steer us away from even using the word orgasm. I'm like that just feels like a unnecessary blip here. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like that's a tiny circle in infinite space, and I'm I'm kind of like suggesting that infinite space is so potent. And this isn't to you. This is like my relationship <laughs> to the world. It's like can we just stop talking about orgasms? Um, like yeah, we can have them there. They're on the table. But can we notice? There's a whole fucking table in front of us as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And when I go to that space, I'm like, there's a few experiences that, that I feel would be relevant to share and I'll do my best to put this into language. Like I remember um, maybe a year ago with my partner, we were having sex and then we just stopped and it wasn't like we chose to stop. It's like, it's like there was a deep silent invitation that was drawing us out of the frosting into the silence. And as our bodies stopped physically moving, um, like she was sitting and leaning up against the wall of the bed and I was just leaning on my hands and I was still inside her at the time. And the best way I can describe this is it felt like this golden light started pouring through my body and through her body. And we were both like, oh, fuck, like we can feel what this is. Mm -hmm. And if I was to put logical language into it, it felt like my king and her queen energy if we're going – But it was like when the frosting stopped, these deeper, more mature parts of us were just able to meet and to start exuding from our bodies. Mm, Wow. And it was like a deep, deep, deep space of of surrender.
1: Mm, Awesome.
0: Yeah, it's like this is, uh, the words are on the, the tip of my mouth. I'm like, maybe some people experience those kind of deeper drops after sex finishes and they're just going to the, the softness. Mm. But it's not it's like it's a softness that keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. It's like a softness that can take you into the void. So wow. it's soft but ultimately powerful. Mm. And it's like what happens when we start inviting or allowing moments like that to meet us in the sexual experience?
1: Mm-hmm. wow do you feel like often we're doing too much like we're trying too hard to do something or make something happen or we're kind of is there just not enough space to just surrender and allow or i don't know how why do you think that sort of happened in that moment
0: i'd probably say we both we both had enough space within ourselves to access a different pathway mm. uh, to access a different you know invitation or a calling and I think, like, it's not so much the doing that I think it's the problem. I think it's the habits. Mm. And we get into certain habits that are unexamined. And it's like the body is just frustrating And then the body is just moaning. And it's very, like, it becomes almost predictable, the patterns we access. And it's not mm. saying that these patterns are wrong. Like, they're useful and they're developed and they have a purpose. But it's also interesting to me, like, what happens when we go off the path? Mm, mm-hmm. And what can we discover when we're not transversing the way we've always known, and that we know it can create orgasm and pleasure? Mm, because yeah, then cool. that's where the rest of the table becomes available.
1: Totally. Yeah. Cool. Did you have one other story that came to mind? I think you mentioned you had two. Well,
0: that's. Let me just let me just be with this for a moment. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> no pressure.
0: Yeah, I would say that and I don't know like where your audience is at or where listeners are, but if I speak about something like energy, does that have any cognitive sense?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think my listeners are pretty pretty yeah, open-minded. We yeah, we can go there.
0: Yeah, so I feel it's like when we start experiencing the energy that's moving through our sexuality, like what I just described, this archetypal energy, it opens the doorway for a lot more to keep moving that isn't um, logical, mind-driven technique. And I remember one thing, another similar experience that happened for me is when I was with a partner and she was going down on me. And I asked her to to keep it in her mouth but to stop giving me head. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was like this sudden thing just changed. It's like it stopped being this action driven thing, and the energy just became palpable for both of us. It's Mm -hmm. like the energy kept moving, and her desire for me kept moving, but it stopped being about the head job. And it just became a really deep, like, oh my God. I don't really. Wow.
1: If that
0: makes sense.
1: Yeah, you just cut out on those last, that last little bit. Um, so maybe just repeat that. It just became something, something.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just, it just, it stopped being around the act of the head, and it just felt like the floor gave way underneath us. Mm. It's like the energy was still moving, but the physical body stopped.
1: Yeah, so cool. Awesome. Love that. I think a lot of people, I mean, and I hear from clients, like even people who wouldn't call themselves spiritual, they wouldn't talk about energy, they wouldn't use any of those, you know, that language. I still hear some pretty incredible stories because I think it just, it just, if you leave space, it'll naturally happen. Not, not that exactly, but, different things like this I hear some really cool stuff mm. from clients about their self-pleasuring practices or their lovemaking, and yeah and they're kind of like I just don't I can't put words to it I, don't, I can't describe it I don't really understand it but like this crazy thing happened and I'm just like fuck yeah awesome you're not even trying and that's mm. you know that's it's showing you what's possible so it's really cool and then that's usually what sparks a little bit of um I guess, inspiration and in them are a bit of curiosity. And then they might come and have a session with me and be like, Hey, I just, I just got this little hit, like hit that there is something more and that I'm, there's so much more to uncover or explore and I don't really know where to start. So like, yeah. And that's, that's really cool because mm. of course something an experience like that can just feel so hugely nourishing and rewarding and get the curiosity just firing you know like oh my god well what else is possible what else can i do what else can mm, i body yeah. you know like so that's really cool um thanks for sharing those i feel like it's you know even if it doesn't make a lot of sense or people are like oh what the fuck it's still like expansive and and kind of opening everyone's minds to like the different things that are possible um
0: it's, yeah. it's like a game changer, you know, it's like it just opens us up to those possibilities. And for me, like the way I, I would probably describe this, it's a bit like drinking cheap home brand Coca-Cola, which I don't think anyone should drink. But it's like you've been drinking that your whole life
1: mm-hmm. and then you
0: try original Coca-Cola and you're like, oh, my God, this tastes so much better. And you just <laughs> didn't have a reference point for how good it could be up until that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this piece you mentioned, like people coming to work with you, I actually think it's important because you're going to be holding different reference points to what your clients have available to them. Mm. And in coming to work with you, it's like the bodies speak in pretty mysterious ways. It's like they they're allowed into your system and they can develop a different reference point for what's possible.
1: Totally. Yeah, totally. yeah, Cool. So I'm going to just interrupt our little trajectory to slot in the segment, get pregnant and die.
0: Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and Uh, die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise.
1: And this is a segment where I ask all my guests for an anecdote or a story about how their sex education failed them or maybe a story that they've heard from someone or even if it's just something that you wished that you'd learnt about in sex ed that you didn't. So do you have a story for us?
0: Uh, Can I be boring and just say like consent and boundaries?
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's a big one.
0: It's it's massive, and I know I don't know where your listenership is, but I think it's beautiful. In Australia, they've finally said that's going to be um, a part of the curriculum mm. for for school students. But yeah, I, th- I think it's massive, and I think like we downplay the value of consent and boundaries. It's like it's impossible to have a full sexual experience without knowing consent and boundaries. And I think my logical idea of what I thought consent and boundaries were. It's like, I have a sense of this until I journeyed there with my body and I was actually invited to explore and recognize that consent and boundaries aren't rigid things. Mm -hmm. They're continually changing things. Mm -hmm. And the level of presence and relationship, the, the level of presence and relationships, um, I need inside myself to stay on top of that like how, what is my consent and boundaries in this moment as a moment-to-moment experience and not like being mental about it but actually having that relationship to my body of like, oh, this feels a bit edgy right now. Mm. Um, so I wish not just that the logical stuff was taught, I wish that the embodied stuff was taught.
1: Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Me too. That's really cool that they're going to start bringing, bringing that into schools. It's so, 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 so important, so foundational. Um. Yeah, I mean, to kind of know and have have your own back with your own boundaries, but also to be listening to that other person and and not always just verbally. Like you've got to really look out for other people's boundaries sometimes when they don't have their own back, you know. But I guess if we're all being taught it, then maybe we'd be better at having our own backs and it would be easier to listen to the other people person's boundaries and it would just be overall <laughs> so much better. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Thank you. So I know you've mentioned that for you one of the draining things about ejaculation, you know, isn't even like the physical or energetic stuff that, you know, the ta- neo-tantric or no-fap um, attitudes kind of tout, but it's more like the the sort of draining part can be or has been that it brings up shadow and shame and guilt. Um so yeah, I mean, and I'd imagine at one at one point you probably might have been contending with like the shame and and the guilt you know that's maybe arising from childhood conditioning around masturbation or like trauma or old wounds, um and then also the more recent layers of shame and guilt that surround ejaculation because of that you know um dogmatic attitude around it that demonizes ejaculation so yeah, can you talk a bit about like how how you've kind of grappled with those things arising with ejaculation and, you know, whether that kind of brought you closer to yourself and, you know, was that a bit of a process for you like with, mm-hmm. with those shadowy things coming up around ejaculation?
0: Um, was at one point like when I started recognising it's like, oh, I need to the thoughts that would come from my mind and the emotion that would follow and it's like I'm not – being drained physically i'm being drained emotionally here like there is so much unprocessed emotion that hits me like a wave out of nowhere after I ejaculate that that seems to be what's what's draining me and then the next day or two it's like i'm fighting unconsciously i'm fighting to not feel that because it's overwhelming and when i started cottoning onto this i just started wondering i'm like how would how would ejaculation feel if this emotion wasn't there and that became this opening into like, oh, okay, another way is possible. And if I am going to ejaculate, I have to start leaning into and meeting these emotions. Um, and there you was know, periods, like over, if I just look over the last couple of years, where it would still put me out for two or three days. I'd feel like a, a tension around my eyes, especially the day afterwards, where I'm like, oh, this is here because I ejaculated yesterday. And then there's also the other piece where it's like sometimes when I've maybe lent into the fullness of the emotion and really carried my body with me through the ejaculation, it's been like a very minor shift. It's like maybe I'm a bit more calm, but I'm definitely not depleted, and my sex drive is still on. Mm. Um, And and also other times I've had times where I've gone fully into the ejaculation and like two or three days later, I'm still like, wow, I'm really tender. Like um, my erection isn't as hard as it usually is because whatever I just released somatically through that last time I ejaculated, the body's still calibrating it. It's like it was big.
1: It's just so interesting to be talking about it like this. I feel like it's one of those things that often, because we're not taught about this, often like it's not questioned and it's just this kind of automatic like thing that that we do that the body does um and then I reckon it's almost mm. like I feel like with food for so many years I'm, I was probably eating crappy food and also feeling like drained and grumpy and just not amazing but I, I didn't associate it with the food I was eating because I just wasn't really educated around mm. that and I feel like that could be happening a lot as well like with male-bodied people who are ejaculating really regularly and sort of you know, unconsciously or not not with a lot of mindfulness or intention and then probably feeling drained in certain ways or having certain things come up. Maybe it's even outside of their window of tolerance to kind of integrate, but just never associating it with the ejaculation because it's not even a thought in like in their mind mm. that, that that could be have anything to do with it, you know? Um so like mm. I'd love to talk about how to just get a little bit more more conscious around ejaculation um yeah bring a bit of mindfulness into it and create a bit of a practice around it so that it feels empowering so that it feels like a choice so that we're not preoccupied by either trying to not do it too quickly or preoccupied by trying to make it happen because that's the one thing that we're trying you know that we want that's the goal um yeah and i and it's it's a tricky. I feel like it would be a tricky balance to strike. I don't know. I don't have a dick, but you know, even with like um, the the women I work with, like sometimes there's been quite a bit of like damage done, just you know, by them being shamed about their own pleasure and genitals when they're young mm. or whatever, and the conditioning, and it's all of these layers, and then that results in them struggling to have an orgasm at all later in life. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Yeah. Um, which, you know, makes it really hard to access pleasure because they're being blocked by these layers of conditioning and shame and stuff. Um, which of course, like I feel like male bodied people would have that as well. Um, plus they're trying to, you know, trying to last longer and be more of a sex god and da 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 da. So they're kind of preoccupied by that performance anxiety. Um you know that it's such a complex layered thing and there's so many things that can be getting in the way of just enjoying like the orgasmic energy and the pleasure um and accessing those states through like less less kind of doing and trying and more surrender and allowing it's just not like Mm. it's not how we're taught to do anything is it? we're taught to like go after something and act and get it done and be proactive and make it happen um So, yeah, anyway, there was a lot that got a bit convoluted, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, like I I know for, I know for me personally and for the women I speak to, it's no easy feat to take away the preoccupation with, with, you know, Mm, orgasmic pleasure or whatever, um, but that's kind of where we need, like, that would ideally be where we were sitting because once you take away the preoccupation or the goal or the Mm. expectations, then like, like I was saying earlier, like so much is possible and we might be able to access things without even trying or realizing. But, um, let's chat about how to, how to do this as a person with a penis. Um, how, like firstly, I guess, I mean, I, we have covered it, but just to kind of reiterate, like, what is the, difference in your mind between conscious versus unconscious ejaculation you know like um yeah let's start there
0: mm. i feel like there's a piece you're tying up for me from the other conversation that keeps moving through me like if there was one thing i wish i learned in high school like mm-hmm. i wish and not that i could have this expectation on any of my teachers like sexuality was not their area of study but it's like i wish someone told told us as a class um you can all be good at sex Mm. because I think that's on an unconscious level. That's what we're all trying to do by chasing orgasms. We think that's what being good at sex is. Mm. Um, You can all be good at sex and all it takes is coming into relationship with yourself and your partner. Mm. And the deeper you can come into that relationship, the better the sex is going to be. Yes. And I think that's like a world-changing thing to focus on. It's like we, we just change paradigms with something as simple as that.
1: Amazing. That's, that's the soundbite for the episode. That was a full mic drop moment. (laughs) Such a, yeah, huge, (laughs) great sentence.
0: (laughs) Mm. And I think like a lot falls into that. Like even when I said consent, it's like, yeah, consent has a piece and being able to voice it has a piece. And also like when I'm having sex with my partner, we're not talking about consent and boundaries, but we can feel it. Like if one of us if you're having sex with someone and they tune out or they go into their emotions or their mind, it's like one of us will stop and be like, Hey babe, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening for you? It's like, you can feel when the person's left their body and it's like, they don't even have to tell you. And that kind of relationship can only come through coming into deeper relationship, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a big piece that's missing here. And I think it also allows us to redirect. Like if one person tunes out for whatever reason it's like okay how can i slow down and meet them here as opposed to how do i just keep chasing to give them an orgasm It's like maybe they don't need a fucking orgasm maybe they need a breath
1: yeah so beautiful yeah
0: so i i pivoted your question mm-hmm. accidentally but <laughs> it felt relevant
1: definitely and no. then
0: i did that thing where i can't remember the question again <laughs>
1: I mean, I guess we've sort of, it's what we've been talking about is like conscious versus unconscious ejaculation. Uh, yeah. Oh It's probably not even necessary yeah, to reiterate it, but maybe just to put it in like a nutshell. Um, you know, if you just drop one, one of those bombs on us like that, you know, that would be great. Just like wrap it up in a sentence.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I will do my best. Um, I think it's about not holding ourselves to to the patterns and exploring where we can come out of the patterns. And if your pattern is always to ejaculate, stop it. (laughs) Mm. And if your pattern is always holding yourself back, maybe question why and what are you afraid would happen if you did start ejaculating? And Mm. like for me, the spiritual path, which is at the core of my being, is non-duality. And it's like if I'm telling myself that having less energy is bad, can I stop doing that because that's not fucking useful? Mm. Can I go through the process of ejaculation and just meet it from a place of non-duality? Like I don't need to have a preference around how I'm feeling. Can I just go through it and feel it and walk through the cave as opposed to stepping in, being scared and being like, Oh no, I'm going to do the thing I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Like what's on the other side of the darkness is really what my, my curiosity is about. Um, And I know it's not for everyone, for some people, you know, just having two dimensional orgasms, like where the whole purpose of the sex is just to come. That's fine. Like, I actually think having that as a part of our sexual repertoire is useful. It's just not the Holy Grail. Mm. Like for me, the Holy Grail is being in the mystery and continually allowing like the process of sex to reveal to me more about myself and more about life. Like that's where it brings me to my knees in awe where I don't know what's going to happen next.
1: Love that. I think you did a pretty good job there, really. Um, there's some, <laughs> some good one liners in there. Um, and it kind of, I love also that you mentioned like it is also totally like a valid, um, string to your bow to just have the, the fucking, you know, just the regular old fuck. Mm. That is also okay. And, and if that's like satisfying and fulfilling you, fuck yeah, great. Or if you just want to do that sometimes, because also it's just a bit, um, it's a bit unsustainable for most people or like not even possible for most people to have that like real sort of gourmet spiritual transcendental sex all the time and i i did a an episode mm. with um Laura Allen right back when i first started the episode about like pleasure and and mental health and embodiment and she was sort of talking about sexual experiences or encounters like meals. And there's like the entree, there's some dessert, there's a snack every now and then, there's the main meal, there's like Hungry Jack's versus like, you know, a three Michelin star restaurant. And like they're all great and they're all important to have in your repertoire because Mm. you're not always going to have the time and the energy and the presence to do that three fucking hour tantric transcendental like falling into the abyss of blissful you know, orgasmic, mm. whatever. Um, and sometimes it's really great just to have a snack, you know. And and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So not, yeah, not beating yourself up because, like, that's a trap that I fell into when I started getting into like sacred sexuality and neo tantra and stuff. I was kind of wanting or feeling like I should be having that really gourmet experience every single time, mm. and I would beat myself up or feel a bit inadequate if if I just. Had a fuck, you know, or or if I didn't, exactly. yeah. yeah, didn't have some like mind blowing full body cervical orgasm multiple times, <laughs> you know, like there's just like the, <laughs> I think it's a natural thing that we do yeah, that we're kind of conditioned to do is find things to create like make make our goal and like reach for and try to you know it's hard to want Mm. something without really trying to get it and being disappointed if you don't it's very tricky to like not have expectations and not put pressure on ourselves and just be happy with what is but I guess that is you know the practice um and so like I'd love to hear from you about some I guess like tools or strategies or like even just questions you ask yourself things that are going to help Say, say for a listener who wants to explore conscious ejaculation and maybe switch up, like have a bit of a circuit breaker moment and switch up their patterns, question their mm. sort of, you know, their automatic patterns and things. What are some tools? What are some things we should be aware of? Are there questions to be asking? You know, how do we how do we consciously ejaculate? <laughs> Big question, but yeah, you know, where do yeah, we start?
0: Course. Yeah, I, I just want to touch on one thing. Sometimes we polarize like what you were just saying, like it can be deep and tantric and whatever. And then it can also be, you know, fucking and hard and whatever. And for me, it's like, that isn't even a polarity. Like those two are like, they're like two different liquids. Like let's say one's red and one's blue and I'm like, I can mix them together. Mm. It's like that depth of presence can come into fucking and, I feel like sometimes people miss this. They think to have presence, it needs to be slow. It's like, no, find out what happens when you bring your presence into the fucking and find out what's possible if you keep bringing your presence into intensity. Like for me, um mind-blowing. Uh, it's like, there's words I'm looking for here. It's like the, the separation of Tantra being slow, which I, I'm okay for people to believe that, but the separation of like, mind-blowing or deep experiences or whatever being slow and that's the way it needs to happen is just another dogma it's like what happens if you mix fucking with with deeply slow sex that isn't boring but brings you more fully into your body and then you go back into fucking it's like we're just creating an algorithm here that no one really fucking speaks about you know (laughs) welcome welcome to welcome to contemporary world it's like we can play with all of these pieces um, mm,
1: yeah, I so, mean, I mean there, I just wanna... there's
0: a, there's a tool in that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank Go you on. for mentioning that. Well, I I guess when I say fucking, I wasn't. Yeah, I suppose that's good that you pointed this out because probably if you thought it, then listeners would as well. When I say fucking, I I'm kind of meaning for my own experience. Like it feels like a fuck when I'm not when there's not a lot of presence. It's not about the speed. It's not about the length that it goes for. Mm. You know, you can have a quickie and it and it can be like fast and whatever and it can still be really like nourishing and, and quite you know tantric or whatever you want to call it um so i guess for me personally when i'm saying fucking versus the other it's it is more about the thing that you can't even see which is like a present are you feeling like you're really like your body is yeah. communing with this other person so thank you for mentioning that because yeah i guess true if, if someone says fucking it's usually like meaning that jackhammer boning like rabbit fucking kind of thing yeah. but i guess i'm like yeah that is my language that that uh makes it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i love and that I, you can do all like,
0: of it yeah and i think this space like i for me it's not even about demonizing fucking i think like we can start off the fucking and that can bring us into presence as long mm-hmm. as there's a sense of you know um like the sexuality can be a tool to bring and even using it as a tool like it's not the word it's like it's like we're meeting in sex and we find we're going to get more present if we open for the experience. Yeah. yeah. It's a, As opposed to like, Oh, I don't want to just fuck. It's like, okay, like the, the sex can open us up is basically what I'm leaning into.
1: Yeah. 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 It's like a pathway or a gateway or a sort of, yeah. Something that helps us. access. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah.
0: In, <laughs> in regards to your, your question around tools and strategies, um, I think one I would highly recommend is learning to listen to the body, and it might help to do that outside of sexuality, and I'll speak to both. That could be dance, it could be yoga, it could be, you know, whatever, but even meditation. But in learning to listen to the body, like the body, you start recognizing that the body is a sentient being. It's got its own consciousness outside of your mind, and the body can speak to you as well. And it can ask for things to be faster or slower or whatever. And there's one mode of operation where we objectify the body, which is um, nine to five mainstream society. The body serves as a transportation system for the mind. And even for people that use the body, they're using it in a very objectified way. It's like my body is here to perform this action and I'm going to keep performing it. Um, there's another way where the body becomes subjective and the body has information and it gathers information and it can share information back with the mind. And I don't know, this might sound esoteric for some people. If you start reading even into the academic literature and embodiment, which I have done, you'll find um, like Rachel Forgaz's writing is really, really beautiful. And she has specific ways she articulates this, which is different than my ways. But like the idea is we can come into relationship with the body where it speaks to us. And when that relationship is present during sex, you're going to find things open up like you might touch your partner where you haven't touched them before. You might find your body slowing down or you might find yourself looking at them. And there's like, there's a draw and a pull that arises from the body. And the mind is like, Oh, this is edgy. I've been used to fuck to just fucking or to just frosting to please my partner And here's this different thing arising and I don't know what that is. And, you know, I might not give her an orgasm if I do this or I might break her orgasm or arousal or pleasure or whatever, like the thoughts are. And there's still a sense of like, I'm going to breathe in and I'm going to trust this different thing. And that's where magic opens. On, I felt I, I to share a few more things. I think on a very practical level, all those tools we learn through like Taoism and Tantra, the breathing, um, the manipulation of energy for like the Bandhas or the locks, that is all useful as well as we progress with sexuality. It's just like our grasp of needing that stuff becomes less intense. But it's like if you know how to breathe and you know that the breath is going to let the sexuality rise for your body and your partner's body, that's a useful tool to be able to have. So there is still a place for me um in having a relationship to these tools. But I find now compared to before, they're they're available in my repertoire. It's like I'm just breathing more in my sexuality as opposed to telling myself I need to stop and breathe and the breath becomes like a cognitive function.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of comes. Back. But we
0: do need to start somewhere as well. So yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess to get it into that place where it's part of your repertoire and it can just sort of naturally come out and be used, that you did kind of have to go pretty hard at one point (laughs) to, like, get it into your body as, like, the, yeah, Mm. this sort of, yeah.
0: Cool. And and I want to add one more thing in terms of your question around circuit breakers. I think asking for what we want or asking for unexpressed desires. And this can be edgy, so it's, like, take it at your own dosage and what feels comfortable for you, but... Just how the simple putting forth of a desire can change the sexual dynamic and recognize that your partner might not be able to meet you in the desire. They might not want to. And it's not its not even about that. It's just the freedom that happens when you let yourself voice these things. And usually the desires are are suppressed because of shame or guilt or unsafety or whatever. So it's like you're allowing this part of you that's been emotionally stuck to come out onto the table. And these kind of conversations, you generally need a, a degree of safety um, with the person you're doing it with. But the for me, the magic has been like telling my partner I want her to be more penetrative with me energetically mm-hmm. completely changes our sexual dynamic, especially because the mainstream story is the men are penetrative and the women are receptive. Mm. And when we mix that up, it's like a whole new dynamic that emerges out of that.
1: Yeah, epic. Love that last point as well. So important and something that I guess a lot of people are hesitant to do. Um, but just yeah, it comes back to like communication as always. And and um I think sometimes like I've been with people who have it's they've been hesitant to um ask for what they want or sort of speak up and there's a lot of like I guess reluctance because they might be afraid of how I'll react or yeah and I think being courageous and being able to be vulnerable like you said there needs to be a fair bit of trust and um you know good sort of space holding skills and acceptance um for it to be a safe space to bring up things like that but the vulnerability that that um you know allows for and then the trust so beautiful and it can just deepen the experience so much, and then we're already kind Mm. of in a bit more of a mindful place, I guess. Um, Yes, I love that. Mm.
0: Um, That's beautiful.
1: And is there anything else, like, on this topic before we wrap up that you would like to leave listeners with? And we've still got the segment TMI. We love it, so I'll ask you for a story before we jump off the (laughs) call. But, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, does it feel as though you've sort of completed or done justice to what you want to be saying or have i missed something glaring that's kind of you know nibbling at you that you want to speak to
0: i think the only piece that, that i would add extra words to is that we can let it be fun and you know fun can be edgy and soft and intense and it's really like where where are my curiosities and desires what do i want to explore with my sexuality and just really giving ourselves permission to go after that as opposed to settling for um What's average or unengaging?
1: Mm, Yes, fun. I feel like that's so lacking and it's not emphasized enough that, like, this should really, at the end of the day, you know, it it should be fun and be allowed to be fun and playful and, like, yeah, not so serious, not so kind of, because then we just get into overthinking and overanalyzing. So, yeah, love that. It is, it is fun, you know, and it's funny. Mm. I feel like a lot of people don't don't feel (laughs) comfortable like laughing or being a bit silly or like you know if something funny shit happens in sex like bodies are hilarious Mm. and some funny stuff goes on and you can't like i feel like you've got to just laugh about it you know (laughs) like yeah but anyway i guess that takes safety and trust as well so i'm not judging if you don't don't laugh if you're accidentally fart in sex or something like that you couldn't <laughs> totally be mortified mortified with that as well but you know like if something if like a little body fart happens or if like something kind of goes awry that's a little bit like oh that was awkward or whatever like it's so okay to laugh about it we're just human and yeah I think that fosters I guess like a, a sort of non-judgmental safe space where we can feel even closer um if we're able to laugh about things in sex um Awesome. Yeah, that's nice. So do you have a TMI story for us? Cause it is now time for the segment, TMI we love it. TMI we love it. TMI
0: we love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been thinking, I'm like, some of the, the stories I shared, I'm like, oh this is kind of verging on TMI. <laughs> I've been like, oh, should I share this? Should I not? <laughs> um There's a curiosity, is there a particular flavor of story or a theme, I guess. Um um,
1: yeah, so I suppose if I'm thinking back to all of the different stories, there's been a real array, like for example, there's been um sex stories, things happening in sex fluids. there's often a lot of fluids involved in the stories, whether it be jeers or period blood or squirting. There's also been some more vulnerable shares. I think like the I guess my intention with the segment is to help start dismantling the stigma and taboo and the shame around topics that aren't normally spoken about so that people can feel like, oh my God, I'm not alone. They also have that experience or like, wow, how courageous. They're talking about that thing that I feel really uncomfortable. I would never be able to talk about that, but how inspiring. Maybe it isn't such a, you know, th- you know, this dirty or gross or shameful or embarrassing thing that needs to be kept behind closed doors or swept under the rug it's it's kind of like you know I want to normalize I want to go there I want to be vulnerable I want to you know it can be funny it can be basically just anything (laughs) I don't know if that helps but um that's the intention behind the segment at least is just to help you know people be like wow that's real I'm so Mm -hmm. like happy to be listening to that that really honest frank Share about something that happens to real people, and that might have happened to me or could happen to me, but that no one's no one's talking about, you know.
0: Mm. And is there a specific topic you want me to speak to, or a theme that you just
1: i oh, no anything anything go for it? Um, Cam Fraser spoke about snapping his banjo string. Um. <laughs> He's the only other man that I've had on the podcast so far. So I don't know if that gives you, maybe it can be ejaculation or like penis related, but honestly it it's, um, it's totally up to you.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, I, it's interesting as we're doing this, I'm like, I, I speak on stage quite often and I've spoken on stage many times now as well about sexuality. And I feel like I've, I've exposed so many things I never thought I would say <laughs> publicly. So that totally. there's a relationship to the to the TMI thing. Um yeah. and th- there's also a relationship to being misunderstood where people didn't really feel where I was coming from and misinterpreted my story and just feeling the sense of like, wow, I just been really vulnerable and mm. um, you know, I wasn't met in that. So there's an awareness there around like uh the my tentativeness not knowing your audience and them not seeing or being able to relate to me and Mm. Taking taking something on surface value, which has been a big like learning for me. From when I start, first started talking about sexuality, mm. it's like to some people, I'm just going to represent a white man. That's going to represent every other white or man that mm. they know, which isn't going to allow them to um, even lean in to connect to where am I speaking from. So yeah.
1: that's so fair enough. And and I will add that it is also equally inspiring and like oh so respect it if if you just want to decline because like that (laughs) that again that's consent that's boundaries that is just being like Mm. actually like I don't feel the need to share anything right now or it does feel a little bit too vulnerable to me and you know what I'm not gonna fucking dance when you say monkey dance you know so like it's also (laughs) maybe that's maybe that's where you land and you're like yeah you know what I'm not gonna share because you do you share stories that are pretty vulnerable and a lot of information about you know, a subject that is a bit stigmatized and taboo on stage all the fucking time. So it's like, wow, you know, Mm. you're already doing that. So totally up to you. (laughs) My listeners are pretty loving, open-minded
0: people though. There's a memory there for me and I feel like maybe this touches on on, um, a man's journey or something like that. But the memory that keeps coming to me is being like, God, primary school, so I don't know what I would have been, maybe like seven, eight, nine years old or something. And after after we would go to the swimming pools, um, all the boys would go into the boys' change rooms and we'd have to get changed. And I remember for me always having this relationship to, like, why am I holding a towel over myself when I'm changing myself in the boys' change room? Like, this is weird. Um, You know, it's like we don't have to be clothed here. We can just take our clothes off. And also feeling this social stigma around all the other boys are doing this. Like, you know, everyone's hiding their bits. Mm. And I found sometimes I, I would do the whole thing of like using a towel in the boys' room, and other times I was like, no, it's fine. I don't need a towel here. And I remember, and this is a memory that only came to me recently, um, like over the last couple of years, I remember at one point me not using a towel and these other boys like pointing and laughing at my penis.
1: God. Horrible. Yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah. Horrible and so innocent. It's like this is what boys do to each other. This, yeah. this is the correct way to behave, you know.
1: <laughs> totally. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been, you know, they probably wouldn't have realized the harm that they could be doing. It's innocent. Um, but also kids are fucking cruel sometimes and that shit stays mm. with you. Like, dick shaming that's a big that's not a tiny thing you know like especially when you're already having that process around like why am i holding up a towel i shouldn't i don't need to do this this is a safe space we're all getting naked and then of course the thing you're afraid of happening yeah Mm. Mm, thank you for sharing
0: Yeah, i I think like you know there's something collective in there like they played one side of the story i played the other but i think as i've been journeying into my sexuality it has been like a meeting of of dick shame. Um Mm. and in a collective way, I'm like, sure, that's how it shows up with boys, but there's so much in what's become normalized, like what men aren't are and aren't allowed to do or say or be. It's like it's almost like having a a penis is um a reason to be shameful. It's like you shouldn't be using that thing in the world, you know? Mm. And uh, it's like I just feel the level of suppression that's happened inside men because of that like regardless of where it's come from it's this sense of like what does it mean to just feel safe in my body with my cock again
1: Mm. Mm. big yeah wow Mm. Um, none of us escaped this shit (laughs) yeah it's it's life (laughs) yeah yeah it is it's yeah I feel like even if a lot of my listeners are female bodied, that is still relatable because, you know, on, on on the other side of things it's yeah, like we got that stuff too. We all we all grappled mm. with this stuff. It's yeah, it's pretty impossible to escape childhood and, and puberty without like a whole bunch of stories like that, really. So thank you for sharing. Like I find that relatable and I don't mm. have a penis. So yeah. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, and big big love to you, Freya, for like, you know, for bringing Labia Lounge um, into the world. Like I think the, the biggest thing that's going to create, you know, space is when we start having conversations like this more openly. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I shared that in bo- ejaculation post, there was a woman on my Facebook who um, uh, she deleted me and blocked me and sent something like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Basically in the, the, the lines of like, I don't like where you're going and, and best luck for you um, wow. kind of thing. And she's someone I've known for a few years, and there was also a sense of like I, I, I genuinely felt sorry that she was hurt and couldn't receive um, what I was offering and sharing, and I was also like, you know, she has two boys, mm-hmm. and like I, I don't have children, but you know, I've I've lived in households with children like as as an adult and watched how some of my friends parent their children especially from a more sex positive place and there's just this sense of like fuck if we don't start having these conversations in our families and with our children like who the fuck will it's like we're literally passing them off to learn about this stuff from porn or from you know the boys at the soccer club or something like that Mm. um yeah
1: Oh, my God, totally. And there's just a
0: sadness in, in my heart and a real appreciation for the fact that there is more things like what you're doing and enlightenment in the bedroom and, you know, different stages like this.
1: Mm, yeah, thank you. Thanks for mentioning that. I, I also teach between, like, feeling a lot of sadness about the state of things and how it is still so triggering and just inaccessible to some people because of their own trauma or conditioning but then being like really hopeful and like oh my god you know there's some cool shit going on actually and like i'm part of that and i'm trying to make it happen and yeah so thanks (laughs) thanks for saying that i'm doing Mm. a bit um feeling really excited (laughs) and inspired by by the podcast and the kinds of guests i'm having and the kinds of conversations i'm having like i just feel so like buoyed up and sort of sprightly for the rest of the day after recording an episode because I've got all these thought-provoking convos that have gone on and you know we've just generated a bit of like Mm. oh yeah it's cool it's really cool so fuck yeah thanks for being part of it
0: Mm, my pleasure thank you
1: Mm. all right everybody well I'm going to leave you all to it. I'll mention um, that you should, well, you shouldn't do anything. You can, if you would like, I will put in the show notes, Maris loves links um, and offerings and things like that. There's also a Facebook group now that I've just launched for the Lavia Lounge where I'll put like, extra little bits of content and outtakes and q and a's and um if any of the guests that i have on have like offerings or discounts or freebies or whatever i'll chuck them in there so i'll put the link to the facebook group in the show notes as well and um yeah that's it thank you so much i'll um i'll speak to you soon
0: my pleasure thank you Bye
1: bye. and that's it darling hearts And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freagraph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.